0: In the Acts, and chapter 28, and verse 20, Acts, chapter 28, and verse 20, For this cause, therefore, did I entreat you to see and to speak with me, for because of the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. End of chapter 26 in the same book from verse 4. My manner of life then from my youth up, which was from the beginning among mine own nation and at Jerusalem, know all the Jews, having knowledge of me from the first, if they be willing to testify that after the straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. Now I stand here to be judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers, unto which promise our twelve tribes, earnestly serving God night and day, hope to attain. And concerning this hope, I am accused by the Jews, O King. In the Old Testament I would like to turn you to Jeremiah, to the prophet Jeremiah, and to chapter 14 and verse 7 and 8. Though our iniquities testify against us, work thou for thy name's sake, O Lord, for our backslidings are many. We have sinned against thee, O thou hope of Israel, the Savior thereof in the time of trouble. Why shouldest thou be as a sojourner in the land and as a wayfaring man that turneth aside to tarry for a night? And yet again in the same prophecy, chapter 17, Verse 12 A glorious throne set on high from the beginning Is the place of our sanctuary O Lord the hope of Israel All that forsake thee shall be put to shame They that depart from me shall be written in the earth Because they have forsaken the Lord The fountain of living waters Heal me O Lord And I shall be healed Save me And I shall be saved, for Thou art my praise. Shall we bow together in a further word of prayer? Beloved Lord, we just want to stand by faith into that anointing which You have provided specifically for our time this evening and for the ministry of Your Word. We want, Lord, to confess before you that apart from you we can do nothing. Lord, we can speak many words and we can hear many words, but unless you are the anointing power and grace on the speaking and upon the hearing, nothing of eternal value will be done. Lord, we stand by faith into that anointing that you have given us, that this speaking may be under your anointing and our hearing may be under your anointing. And so your purpose in our time be fulfilled. We shall give to you all the praise and all the glory for this. And we ask it in the name of our Messiah, the Lord Jesus. Amen. I think you all know that the uh, title of this evening's time is, "O Thou, the Hope of Israel. But what is the hope of Israel? What is the hope of Israel? I think it's very interesting that the book of Acts, which records the triumphant progress of the church, in its beginnings is an unfinished account. But the way Luke finishes it is very interesting. The Apostle Paul, he tells us, says, I have asked that you might see me and speak to me. This is of the Jews in in Rome. That you may understand that it is for the hope of Israel that I am in chains. Paul was physically in chains. But it seems to me that everyone who understands what the hope of Israel is about and longs to see it realized and fulfilled is in chains the hope of Israel will chain us to the Lord. It will be a chain to intercession. And it will be a chain sometimes to circumstances that may seem to us to be wholly contradictory to the hope of Israel. I find it very interesting that The Apostle Paul is sometimes called by those who want to discredit any Jewish uh, root or foundation to the church or to the gospel. Uh, They tell us that the Apostle Paul is the architect of Christianity. That he was the one who was so against Judaism. I think this is a complete misunderstanding of the Apostle Paul. In my estimation, the Apostle Paul was the greatest rabbi that has ever lived. And in many ways, apart from the Lord Jesus, the greatest Jew that ever lived. He understood the real significance of the Jewish people. He understood the real meaning of Israel. He understood that there was going to come a time when uh, the Jewish people would return to the land and the state be recreated. And above all, he understood that there would come a day when the Holy Spirit would work in some unparalleled and marvelous way to open the eyes of the blind and bring them into the salvation of God it is after all the apostle Paul who in the Roman letter tells us that uh, he could wish that he was cursed I would imagine that is a very strong term to use that he could wish that he himself were cursed he says for my brethren's sake um, my kinsmen after the flesh And then he says in another place that um, uh, his heart's desire and his supplication to God is for them that they may be uh, saved. He speaks of having undying pain and sorrow in his heart. This does not sound like a man who has turned his back on the Jewish people I'm very interested that the Apostle Paul three times gives his testimony and three times he says I am a Jew not I was a Jew I am a Jew and the last picture we have of him in this amazing and marvelous record in the book of Acts is he is saying I am in chains for the hope of Israel he never gave up That vision that in the end, God would save the Jewish people. What is this hope of Israel? There are many things we could say that are bound up with this hope. It is, for instance, very much to do with the resurrection. Uh, We find that again and again that it, uh, it, uh, it is uh, explained to us that this hope is all to do with the resurrection of the dead. But uh, it seems to me that that leaves one rather cold. I mean, it's wonderful to consider the resurrection of the dead, especially as you get older. Um, it is just wonderful to think that there is coming a day when we shall have a redemption body and that every single hair of your head has been numbered. Extraordinary, isn't it? When you think about it. But they've all been numbered and not one of your hairs of your head will perish. Isn't that amazing? It'll all come back in the end. (laughs) (laughs) Not meaning that you will be very hairy people, but that you will have hair. Because This redemption of the body is the final completed act of salvation. It is the last stage of salvation and it is all bought for us and won for us through the finished work and by the finished work of our Messiah on the cross. What though is the hope of Israel. It's very interesting that when you look at the word, if you take a concordance and look at the word hope, you will find that again and again and again and again, especially in the Psalms, it's all to do with the Lord. My hope is in thee. You, thou art all my hope. I think, for instance, if you want a good example, if you turn to your Bible to Psalm 130, you will find it. 130, verse 7. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is Loving kindness or steadfast love or mercy. Chesed is the word. And with him is plenteous redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all uh, his iniquities. It's bound up with forgiveness. With salvation. With redemption. Not just resurrection. Um, But with all these wonders, look at uh, Psalm 131 and the last verse, verse 3. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. If you want other examples of this, you could turn back to the 39th Psalm, just as an example of so many that are everywhere through the Psalms. Psalm 39, verse 7, and now, Lord, what wait I for? My hope is in thee. In other words, uh, the hope of Israel is bound up and centered in the Lord himself. Of course, I could say a lot of things about the hope of Israel. I could, for instance, talk like this. There is a sense in which the hope of Israel is that all the nations of the earth will come into a saving knowledge of the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. That is the hope of Israel. The prophets spoke about it. They spoke of a day when all the nations would come to Jerusalem, when the word of the Lord would go out from Jerusalem and the law from Zion to the ends of the earth, when there would be no more war, when 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 spears would be beaten into uh, pruning hooks or plowshares and so on. I mean, it, it's everywhere in the word that uh, the prophets speak of that day when there will there will come from every corner of the globe, men and women, nations, who will uh, uh, experience the salvation of the God of Israel. You take, for instance, um, uh, Zechariah, and he tells us that in the end, the nations will all come up to Jerusalem to keep the Feast of tabernacle. And he said, everything will be holiness to the Lord. This is the hope of Israel. Uh, The prophet Isaiah said, and the, the knowledge of the glory of God shall cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. This is the hope of Israel. It was this expectation that God had a purpose in creating Israel. That he had a purpose in choosing the Jewish people. Uh, In Deuteronomy, Moses says, the Lord didn't choose you because you were more plenteous, more in number than other nations. But because the Lord loved you, He chose you. Never, Never underestimate the love of God. And never think that you fully understand it. Why certain people love certain people is always a mystery to me. People fall in love with, I mean, sometimes someone falls in love with the most gangly creature you have ever seen in your life. But for that person, that that dear one is the most precious thing created by God. We even have a word for it Love is in the eye of the beholder (laughs) Because it is such a mystery And the love of God for us Is the greatest, the most Unfathomable mystery of all Why does God love you? A good question Why does God love me? You say that's a very good question too (laughs) Why does God love us? We are such a load of trouble. We give Him nothing but trouble from the moment we are saved. We argue with Him. We rebel against Him. We misinterpret His will. We misunderstand His purpose. We are slow to obey Him, slow to move with Him, slow to walk with Him. What a load of trouble every believer is. If you think you're no load of trouble, but you think all the people around you are the load of trouble... (laughs) You have not yet understood yourself. (laughs) It is a mystery to me that God ever loves us. And yet God chose Israel because he loved Israel, not because they were the most intelligent people on the face of the earth. Generally speaking, people think of Jewish people as above average intelligence. There is no doubt that there is very real intelligence amongst the Jewish people. But those of us who live within the nation see a lot of very unintelligent activity as well. (laughs) People think we are experts at business, and so we are. We have got to the top of all kinds of of, uh, business empires, uh, created huge business empires, and yet God did not choose us because of business expertise, nor for ingenuity. The The Jewish people are an ingenious people. I have a theory that everybody who survives uh, persecution for thousands of years, something happens to their genes. I'm not talking about Levi's, I'm talking about genes, (laughs) genetics. Something happens to their genes, and uh, I think, I know someone's going to correct me on this thing, but uh, I have a a suspicion that within the breeding of the Jewish people, there has come an ingenuity from survival. But God did not choose the Jewish people because they were ingenious or intelligent or uh, enormous business uh, expertise um, or because they were by nature religious. Um, or because they were righteous Uh, naturally. God did not choose the Jewish people for any of these reasons. There is no understanding of why God chose the Jewish people. He says himself, because he, because I love them. And there we come to a dead end. Because God loves them. It is very interesting that the Lord said about Jacob, Jacob I have loved, and Esau I have hated. Can you explain that to me? When God chose the Jewish people, He chose them, because they were to be the vehicle by which he would reach the whole world. This is the hope of Israel. Zachariah the prophet put it in magnificent words. He said there will come a day when ten men of the Gentiles of the nations will take hold of the skirt of him who is a Jew and will say, we will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. This is the hope of Israel. A hope that one day this damaged universe will be somehow put right. That the pollution of air, of sea, of earth will somehow be overcome. That all this wickedness not only towards human beings, but towards the very life of this earth, toward the animal, bird and fish life of this earth will somehow be put right. That's what the Word says. It speaks of a day when the lion and the lamb will lie down together, when the kid and the leopard will uh, consort together, when a child will be able to play with a cobra and play with a viper. Uh, uh, when nothing will destroy in all God's holy mountain and the earth will be covered with the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This comes twice in Isaiah chapter 11 and again in Micah. It is very interesting um, that about, uh, rather about uh, Jerusalem being the place where all this will go out from. It comes twice in these two uh, prophets. Now, my dear friends, all I want to try and say is this. We could say a lot about the hope of Israel. We could talk about a millennium. Well, a millennium is a millennium. I personally believe in a millennium. Others don't believe in a millennium. I don't have any problem with those who don't believe in a millennium, really. It doesn't worry me. Um, If we are proved wrong, it will not surprise me at all. Not even a little. And for those who believe that when you have dismissed the millennium, you have dismissed the whole question of Israel, I think it's nonsense. God has a purpose for Israel, millennium or no millennium. I believe in a millennium. But a thousand years will go like a day. When I was young, it seemed to me that it took an eternity between one birthday and another. It was, near, it was so long coming around those birthdays, I used to drive my mother mad, asking all the time, when's my birthday? You've just had your birthday, she would say. Well, when's my next birthday? Your next birthday is a long time off, she would say. Next year. And I would wait and wait and wait and wait and wait. And it seemed a thousand years. And finally, my birthday came round again. And I was able to tell everybody what I wanted for my birthday. <laughs> by hint or Explicitly. But uh, the fact of the matter was, it took so long, dear friends. It doesn't anymore. <laughs> I think the world has speeded up myself. Now it seems as if they go pum 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 just like that. They've gone one after the other, fleeting by, and then you suddenly begin to realize: Am I getting old? <laughs> what is happening? Everybody thinks a thousand years is forever and ever and ever and ever, my dear friend. A thousand years is a thousand years, but then comes the ages of the ages. (laughs) Forever. Isn't it wonderful? Think. This hope of Israel is not just the millennium. The hope of Israel is a universe in which righteousness dwells. And in which the whole The whole is filled with the glory of God. And it is a universe in which the very purpose of God in creating the whole universe will be fulfilled. We have no idea what that is. People think they have ideas, but they have really, we have no idea. What does it mean in Romans 8 when it speaks of the whole natural creation groaning in pain and in travail? What does it mean? It says that they have been subjected to the cycle of corruption. What does it mean? Does it mean that if man had not fallen, something would happen to the very plants or trees or animals, that they would somehow become something different? We don't even know. All we know is that when man fell, the focal point of the whole universe was destroyed. The universe lost its center. It lost its focal point. And the whole thing careered out, as it were, out of order. God has kept it in the most marvelous way, so that even in its ruined state, we see marvelous beauty. We worship the Lord for what we see in this universe, even though it is a fallen universe, even though it has lost in many ways its, uh, its heart. What will it be when the Lord restores its heart? And when man takes his place, the place that he was destined to take in union with God in the Messiah, can you imagine what will... No wonder the prophets cannot even describe it. They speak of the strangest things. Trees clapping their hands. I've never heard of such a thing. Hills and valleys singing for joy. Have you ever heard such a thing? Even... Even the animals themselves have within them a sense of loss. And one day, when this this purpose of God is fulfilled, the whole thing will become as it was originally intended to be. Dear friends, this is the hope of Israel. I can, I, if, if you want me to labor on on this point, I can do so. I mean, I mean uh, um, we can go further with this. You see, the hope of Israel was all to do with salvation. It was to do with salvation. Make no mistake about it. Israel understood at least the believing part of Israel those whom God had touched their spiritual sight that somehow or other Israel herself needed to be saved and through Israel salvation, the salvation of God would come to the nations of the earth that there could be no righting of the wrong until there was salvation. Do you understand? This is the hope of Israel. And of course, not only salvation, but fulfillment. In other words, to put it again in another way, of what all of that I've said, the original purpose of God in creating the universe and in creating man, fulfilled. This is the gospel. The church has so devalued the gospel that when you talk about these things, people's mouths drop open. They think, where did he get that? What's he talking about? It, they don't understand the term, the whole council of God. We have been robbed of our heritage. Robbed of the riches, the unsearchable riches which are ours in the Lord Jesus. And robbed of our understanding of the eternal purpose of God. And we are all the poorer for it. All of us. We are the poorer for it. If I were to put three words together, I think I could sum up the the hope of Israel. Salvation, fulfillment, glory. What is glory? I was so sad some years ago when a modern version substituted the English word splendor for glory. Uh, You see, the whole idea of glory is, is somehow beyond human understanding. Glory is glory. You can't call it splendor. You can't call it magnificence. That is to devalue the whole idea. What is glory? Glory, listen, is the manifested presence of God. That's glory. In other words, it is something to do with the presence of God, something to do with the person of God, something to do with the being of God, with the character of God. It's the manifested presence of God, the manifested character of that's glory. We were made for glory. We were made to be one with God. Do you understand? We were made for His glory. Sometimes when we really worship the Lord and uh, we are released from our petty problems by the Spirit of God and we touch the Lord in worship, there's glory. And for one moment, we touch the presence of God, we touch the heart of God, we touch the mind of God and somehow the whole world seems different. We see our problems in a different light. We see our family problems, our business problems, our, our church problems. We see everything in a different light. Do you understand? Because we've touched the Lord. What has happened is we've touched the glory of God. Can you imagine what it will be one day to live forever in the glory of God? Not just to touch it now and again as if the Lord will ring a bell and we'll all come together and he'll say, now I'm going to touch you with my glory. No, we shall be the vessels of glory. We shall be transfigured in glory. People have got the idea of glory. Now I must watch myself, otherwise I'm going to preach an altogether different message tonight than the one I meant to. But I, I must tell you this, listen carefully to me. Some people have got the idea of glory that it's a spotlight out of heaven. You know, here you stand and a spotlight comes out of him, shines down. Upon, and you absolutely, you're, you're, uh, you're sort of uh, something shining on you, a spotlight. That's some people's idea of the Lord being transfigured. They think the Lord switched on huge arc lights and, and suddenly there was the Lord in an arc light. But it's not that. Something happened inside. And the glory of God came home. And suddenly the glory of God shone out of his skin, out of his hair, out of his clothing, so it says it glistered. That's transfigured in glory. Do you know that's what you were intended for? Do you know that it says, listen, for all have sinned and fallen short? of the glory of God you were intended when God created us originally for this glory to be transfigured in glory now dear friends this is the hope of Israel I can only touch on it and hope that somehow it will give you a glimpse of something you have never seen before you will suddenly understand this salvation of yours is not some small little thing just to do with the the uh, uh, f- uh, Being forgiven, tremendous as that is, but it is that you are restored to the glory of God. This is the hope of Israel salvation, fulfillment, glory. Let me take you a step further if you're still with me. Israel's hope is in God alone. You understand? In other words, this hope of salvation, of fulfillment and of glory is not that you have salvation as something apart from God or a fulfillment apart from God or glory apart from God but it is God. God becomes the salvation of Israel. God becomes the means for the fulfillment of His purpose in and through Israel. And God is the glory of Israel. You have it? In other words, there is no salvation, no fulfillment, no glory without God or apart from God. Think again. Think, think. What is the significance of the Jewish people? What have they given to the world? The Egyptians have given us the pyramids and the Sphinx and magnificent temples and palaces in the Valley of the King. The Iraqis have given us magnificent ruins of Babylon and Nineveh. The Greeks have given us A whole concept of life, philosophy. What have the Jews given the world? Think there are no pyramids in Israel, unless we go to Egypt, I mean, and take it. Um, There are no pyramids. In Israel. And there are no great ruins such as Babylon on the river. Not in Israel. We have some wonderful ruins. <laughs> some of them human. Um, <laughs> but we do have some wonderful ruins. But the fact of the matter is, Israel has given us the word of God. And Israel has given us the Messiah of God. And both these things mean nothing to the world at large. You understand? To the unsaved world, to the clever world, to the sophisticated world, to the intelligent world, the Bible, ancient book, like Shakespeare. No meaning for today. A Messiah, what are they talking about, Messiah? What's all this talk about, messianic thing? It's interesting. In other words, the very significance of Israel is spiritual. This leads you and me to understand perhaps more clearly than ever before that somehow the hope of Israel is bound up with God himself. Now let me take you another step. Are you ready with me to take the next step? Think of it. You read scriptures like these. Take uh, Roman, the Roman letter, right? Take the Roman letter. You take uh, Romans chapter 3 verse 1. And two, what advantage then hath the Jew? Or what is the profit of circumcision? Much, every way. First of all, they were entrusted with the oracles of God. Listen again, if uh, you have a problem. Uh, Chapter 9, verse 3. For I could wish that I myself were... Anathema or curse from Christ, from Messiah, for my brethren's sake, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelis, whose is the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises, whose are the fathers and of whom is Messiah, as concerning the flesh, who is over all God blessed forever. Is this not interesting? All of this is centered in the Messiah. All of it is centered in the Messiah. In other words, the hope of Israel to say that it is bound up with God is absolutely correct, but we have to take another step and say it is centered in the Messiah. Think of the Lord Jesus' words. Let me read them to you in Luke, Luke's Gospel. Chapter 24. I will read from verse 44. Jesus said unto them, These are my words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must needs be fulfilled which are written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the psalms concerning me. Then opened he their mind that they might understand the scriptures. And he said unto them, Thus it is written that the Messiah should suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name unto all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. Ye are witnesses of these things, and behold, I send forth the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city until ye be clothed with power from on high. You have the same thing in the same chapter in earlier verses. You will all know the story uh, very well. It is uh, in verse 25. And he said, And most foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Behoved it not the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning from Moses and from all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I say the hope of Israel then is centered in the Messiah. He took this book. He took this Old Testament. I don't think we have any problem with the New Testament. The New Testament, there is the Lord Jesus on every page. He is everywhere. From Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1 to Revelation chapter 22 and the last verse. But when we come to the old covenant, he took the law, he took the prophets, and he took the Psalms, that is the three Jewish uh, divisions of the Bible, and he opened their understanding that he was the key to it all. He was the heart of it all. He was the focal point of it all. Oh, dear, dear child of God, it is amazing to me, and I I think about this, that Jesus, the Messiah, is the hope of Israel. There is no salvation apart from him, for there is no other name given under heaven whereby whereby men must be saved. Is that not so? And uh, there can be no fulfillment of the purpose of God except for Him, as it says in the Ephesian letter, for it says of Him that according to the eternal purpose which God purposed or realized, is another translation, in Messiah Jesus our Lord. And where is their glory? Listen to this. Christ or Messiah in you The hope of glory. Think. Think. Sometimes people say to me, well, I can't find Jesus in all the things. I mean, okay, people say, I find him in the typology and I find him in figures in the altar. And maybe one or two of those times when whoever it was appeared to Abraham, you remember, and had a meal with him. And Sarah, you remember? Uh, how could he be the Lord? No man has seen the Lord at any time. Who did Jacob see and say, I've seen the face of God and have lived? Who was it? Say, well, I think this is the Lord Jesus. But just wait, I want to tell you something. Listen. The name Jesus in Hebrew is Yeshua. I think you all know that. And that name Yeshua means salvation. Now you turn back to your Old Testament and you will find Yeshua in a thousand forms on nearly every page. Everywhere you look, behold, God is my Yeshua. He will make Your walls, Yeshua, salvation. (laughs) He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And then it goes on at the very last verse. It says, and I will show him my Yeshua. He is everywhere. I sometimes wonder whether the Lord Jesus said, you know my name? And they would have said, yes, Lord. Well, what is my name? Your name It's Yeshua. Well, look here then. And he took this book and he said, Yeshua, 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 Yeshua. Everywhere you turn, it is Yeshua. You remember how the angel said when he announced the coming of Jesus? You shall call his name Yeshua, for he shall save his people from their sins. And that wonderful old man, that godly old Jew, Shimeon, when he took up the little Jesus in his arms only a a few months, weeks old, he said, "Now." May your let your servant depart in peace, for my eyes have seen your Yeshua, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Have I made it clear enough? let me take you a step further I was brought up not in any kind of when I was first saved in any kind of anti-semitic fellowship it was a very uh, sympathetic uh, fellowship led by that dear servant of God Alan Redpath but even so there were undertones or overtones in some of the things that were said at different times that made you wonder and I remember being told that John was very anti-Jewish. John you know the Apostle John. That he was the most anti-Jewish of all the Apostles. Matthew apparently was the most Jewish. James was totally Jewish and apparently somewhat legalistic Paul was the freest for the lot. <laughs> now I'm not saying, this is, doesn't, don't get me wrong, this doesn't reflect Mr. Redpath's teaching at all. I'm just saying, it was the atmosphere in, in the whole church that somehow or other John was anti-Jewish. He's always talking about the Jews. But when I read the Gospel of John, I find a very interesting thing. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The law came by Moses, but grace and truth, came through Jesus the Messiah now listen to this I think it was Dr. Campbell Morgan in this place in that amazing ministry that God gave him who said that he believed that the gospel of John was built on eight signs and eight claims and all the eight claims began with the I am. You remember? And he said that his considered opinion was that this... Look out. The trouble with these excitable preachers. His... Uh, um, uh, considered opinion was that when the Lord Jesus used the word I am it was deliberately relating it to the uh, uh, unspoken name of the Lord I am that I am who shall I say sent me Moses said say I am sent you now John says, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. He that walketh, he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the door of the sheep. I am the way the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I am the true bride. My Father is the husband. Any human being saying such things, it is almost blasphemous. Was the Lord taking the unmentionable name of God? Was he saying, as indeed the Lord said to Moses, I am, I'm a blank check. Fill in what you want. Do you need love? I am your love. Do you need power? I am your power. Do you need wisdom? I am your wisdom. You're a dead thorn bush and I'm the fire. And if the thorn bush and the fire get together, history will be made. now the Lord Jesus come and the thing that clinches it for me at least uh, as a Jew is this word before Abraham was I am so much for John being anti-semitic I think it's the greatest exposition as you all know there are three synoptic gospels but this is an interpretation now suddenly we begin to understand the hope of Israel the hope of Israel is the Lord Jesus now just wait just wait let me me take you a step further I've got to watch the time Um, let me take you a step further now listen to this the amazing thing is that all these deep deep almost uh, Uh, subconscious feelings and longings in the Jewish heart that after years of being hated, after years of being persecuted, after years of being hounded from pillar to post, not for 2,000 years, but for 3,500, there would in the end come a day when all the earth would turn to the God of Abraham, of Isaac, And of Jacob. When all the earth, all the nations would own the God of Israel as the living God and would know His salvation. Dear friends, that is what has happened. From every tongue and every ethnic group and every racial group and every national group there have been those saved. The work of the Holy Spirit in this dispensation, this age, has been tremendous. The gospel has gone to the ends of the earth. This good news concerning God's Son, concerning the Messiah, Jesus. It has gone to the ends of the earth. And from every single part of this globe, there have been those who have taken hold of the skirts of him who is a Jew and have said, we will go with you. For we have heard that God is with you. Immanuel. The extraordinary thing is that as yet the Jewish people don't recognize this. Sometimes I've heard some of my friends uh, say, well, uh, we think Jesus is good for the Gentiles. (laughs) But uh, not for us. (sighs) Dear friends, it's coming. It will come more surely than I stand here. I see there's a little plaque here and it says maybe today. It will come for it is the certain sure hope of Israel. Can I take you a step further now? Are ready to go with me? Take the book of Revelation. After you've had that amazing vision of the risen, ascended Messiah in the midst of seven churches, then you have another vision into heaven itself. And there you see in the hands of him that sits on the throne a scroll with seven seals. It signifies an inheritance, a will, if you like, a testament. And uh, the voice says, who shall break the seals? In other words, who will inherit? Who will realize the, uh, uh, the purpose of God? Who will secure the, uh, the inheritance? And there's not a word, not a movement. And John understands instantly the significance of it. And he bursts into tears. And an elder, one of the 24 elders, comes across. Isn't that interesting? I don't know why the others didn't, but one of them did. Maybe they said, you go. But anyway, one of them went, came across, put his arm round John and said, don't cry, don't cry. Calm yourself down. Look, the lion who is of the tribe of Judah has overcome. And when John looked to see this lion of the tribe of Judah, he couldn't see a lion. But instead, in the throne, was a little lamb. And not only a little lamb, but a little lamb as it had been slain. And he sees this little lamb take the scroll and break one seal after. And then suddenly there is a, an, a sound that is impossible to describe from millions and millions of tongues. Worthy art thou. It said, for you have redeemed us from every tongue and from every nation, from every ethnic group, you have saved it is an amazing picture before we see martyrdom before we see dragons and serpents and worldwide antichrist empires before we see all the conflict between light and darkness between Christ and the antichrist between God and Satan we see this wonderful picture of the lion of Judah what does it mean if it does not have some significance for the Jewish people The lion of the tribe of Judah. Most Christians only think of the lion as being strong, roaring, the king of the forest. You know that kind of thing. But every Jew knows the lion of the tribe of Judah. That is the crown prince. That is the legitimate heir to the throne of David. What is he doing, this Lamb of God, if it, he, he doesn't have some relationship to the Jewish people, if he doesn't have some relationship to Israel? It's a good question. And it is confirmed by the fact that when this Messiah returns, he returns to Jerusalem. I say the hope of Israel is wholly centered in God it is wholly centered in the person of the Messiah there can be no salvation without him for Jew or Gentile there can be no fulfillment of the purpose of God whether Jew or Gentile there can be no glory for Jew or Gentile apart from Well, dear friends, you see, I must speed on. I want to come to my last two points. It'll take me a while. (laughs) (laughs) When will this begin to happen? What a good question. When will this begin to happen? Some people tell me only after the Lord Jesus has appeared. Then when he appears, they tell me, the Jewish people will see that it is Jesus. But this seems very odd to me. God has never saved by sight. Not all through history has God saved by sight. He has always saved by faith. And I must remind you that this gospel is first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. So, this gospel of the saving grace of God to be received by faith, by the gift of living faith, is first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. If I look at the prophecy of Zechariah, chapter 12, 13, and 14, it's one prophecy. A prophecy I am always glad to uh, tell people has never been, the Christian church has never found itself able to spiritualize. They have spiritualized nearly every other prophecy in the old covenant, but this prophecy in Zechariah 12, 30 has completely defeated them. They have understood that it has to be literally understood. Now this is interesting. Why? Because we are told that in Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10, in that day the spirit of grace and supplication will be poured upon the house of David, that is the ruling class, and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and they shall look unto me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as for an only son, and be in bitterness for him. As for a firstborn. Then it goes on, telling us about the um, uh, husbands and wives apart, a reference to the Shiva in uh, Jewish uh, uh, burial ritual. And then it says this In that day, a fountain shall be opened for uncleanness for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. It is the same fountain in which you have washed away your sins. No difference. It is the same pattern. The marvelous thing is that we are told that this is going to happen at some point in history when the Holy Spirit is going to take away the blindness and turn it to sight. Are we given any indication as to when it will be? Yes, I say we are. Three times in this prophecy it is said and all the nations of the earth will be gathered together in battle against Jerusalem. In other words, this will only take place when Jerusalem comes back to the center of the world stage. Now for nearly 1,900 years, Jerusalem has been nothing. It has been a a half-ruined, backward-looking little uh, uh, village town in the Judean hill country in the Middle East. It has been ruled from Cairo, from Baghdad, from Constantinople, from Damascus, from Rome, from London from Amman, but it has never been the capital of anything. And then suddenly, in our generation, in this century, and not in, within the many of you in the lives of many of you here today, something happened and Jerusalem came back to the center of the world state. More resolutions have been passed by the United Nations Security Council on the status and future of Jerusalem than any other city on the face of this earth. What has happened? Now, wait, wait, wait. Let me, uh, let me take you, uh, let me go further into this. Uh, you can't get away from this, whoever you are. You can't get away from it. You see, first of all, it is implied, more than implied. It's almost defined. Israel is recreated Jerusalem has again become the place where the house of David the ruling class and the inhabitants they're Jewish if you read here it's all about Judah from which we get the word Jew and we find suddenly find they're all back so now we have an indication of timing never in 1,900 years have the Jews been back in such numbers that Jerusalem has become the capital of a recreated Jewish state. But in 1948, in the Roman calendar, the 14th of May, it happened, and the Jewish state was recreated, and Israel took her place again amongst the nations of the world. It was a miracle. On the 7th of June, 1967, Jerusalem was reunited to become the capital of that state. Now, leaving aside all the question of the political rights and wrongs, the fact is that Zechariah said there will come a day when the Jews will be back in Jerusalem, and because they are back in Jerusalem, and because they have leaders, Jewish leaders as it's described in this prophecy, um, Uh, the chieftains it says of Judah in Hebrew aluf I mean so interesting the whole thing has happened in our day it's actually happened wake up (laughs) it's happened it's actually happened I'm not talking about a hundred years ago two hundred years ago when everyone would have looked at me and said oh isn't this exciting one of these days it's going to happen it has happened Something that your grandparents, if they didn't have real living faith and a knowledge of the Word of God and the purpose of God, would have—they would could not have taken in. Yet the prophet Zechariah, 2,400 years ago, said there will come a day when the Jews will be back in the Promised Land. Jerusalem will be their capital, and there will be. Conflict and controversy over Jerusalem and over this state. And much more than that, there will be wars. There have been six wars in 48 years. And the bottom line of every one of those wars has been the the status and future of Jerusalem. Now, dear friends, remember this is one prophecy covering three chapters. We are told in Zechariah chapter 14 verse 2 that there will be a final war. That war will be the war when Jerusalem will fall. Then she will be taken. Half of Jerusalem will be taken. And that will occasion the coming of the Messiah. That's what we're told in Zechariah. His feet shall stand in that day on the Mount of Olives and just so that you can't get away from him, which is east of Jerusalem. It is geographically located. Okay? Now, listen, because I find this stunning. Between the time that, is, that Israel is recreated, that Judah is a fact, that uh, Jerusalem is the capital of that state, and is at the wor- center of the world stage, and wars are fought over, her future and status. And the last battle, somewhere between that point and that point, the spirit of grace and supplication will be poured upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And they shall look unto me whom they have pierced, it says. And they shall mourn for him now think what does this mean they shall look unto me spiritual sight very important to understand that it is unto me toward me and not on me. I look on someone it's physical I look toward someone it's moral do you understand and in the Hebrew normally it can be translated on But normally this little preposition is translated unto or toward. That makes a vast difference. They shall look unto me. Something will happen in their heart. The eyes of their hearts will be open. They will recognize the person of Jesus and the character of Jesus. Now listen to this. Spiritual sight. Openness. Recognition. Repentance. I think of the scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 10 godly sorrow that worketh repentance unto salvation let me say it again godly sorrow that worketh repentance unto salvation now I'm coming to an end, don't fear. I believe that we are actually living in the time when the hope of Israel is near to being realized. I believe that this is the key to the whole conflict in the Middle East and to the whole battle over Jerusalem and over Israel. I believe that the powers of darkness will seek to uh, create one last final holocaust. they will fail. I'm very glad for what David said this afternoon because from what I have said, it may seem as if there's a lot of darkness and trouble and turmoil and confusion coming, but the other side of the coin is there's a harvest of souls to be reaped. Whosoever shall call upon the Lord shall be saved. Right to the very end. An enormous harvest of souls. And it has always been my conviction that when the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the Jewish people, something tremendous will happen in the Muslim world. The greatest harvest in the history of Islam, in the history of the church since the 8th century will be from Islamic nations. I have no doubt about it at all. No doubt about it. Now, dear friends, if we're right on this, this there's a possibility, of course, we're wrong, but I mean, uh, I believe I am right on this uh, matter. Um, I, I believe that we are very near to this. I do not take lightly the threats of Iran, but God. They may threaten but God will work salvation. Not only deliverance, but the redemption of the house of Israel. Now, my dear friends, I must bring this all to an end. Let me just say this, let me put it this way. How is this going to happen? We've said when. Okay, we we must be somewhere near to it. Do you think that the moons I talked about that this morning could have some warning that something tremendous is in the offering? You think the other thing about hale Bob's Comet and the eclipse of the sun or this other extraordinary thing that, that illustrates Revelation 12, do you think it could be that the Lord is actually saying, wake up, I need intercessors? I need people who will stand with me. I need people who will be prepared for this harvest, who will pray it into being. I don't have any doubt about the when. It's the how. Our people are the only people in the world that God blinded. and he did a very good job. It says in in Romans chapter 10, uh, uh, Romans chapter 11, and the first verses it says, and the rest he hardened. (laughs) He says, as touching the gospel, they are enemies for your sake we are dealing with something so mysterious it's almost impossible to fathom it. All we know is this. Not only were the Jewish people blinded and hardened by God in his own sovereign purpose, but the Christian church has certainly helped by giving a caricature of the Lord Jesus so distorted, so horrific as to be absolutely unintelligible to a child of God. Yet the Christian church has given the Jewish people a a representation of Jesus that means that most Jews think of Jesus as everything evil, everything dark and everything unjust a sign of persecution is the cross a sign of destruction of evil the gospel is no sweet sound to the Jew it only speaks of crusades pogrom inquisitions Nazis, Holocausts, that's all. How is the Lord going to do this? Isn't it an amazing thing when you think about it that only God can open eyes? You ever thought about that? No wonder it's called the foolishness of preaching. I mean you have to preach because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ and the word of Christ by those that are sent to preach and yet you know very well that when you're preaching if God doesn't open eyes by his Holy Spirit the whole thing is a lost enterprise. Except absolutely true. Only the Lord can open eyes. And do you know another thing? the Lord opens the eyes in the twinkling of an eye. I have known someone as blind as a bat and in one single second they see. Their mouths drop open. Suddenly they see. In a moment it happens. Don't think that somehow or other all this thing is going to take 500 years. Or enormously well oiled and well-funded missionary organizations. This is not to devalue them or to denigrate them at all. The fact of the matter is that only God can open blind eyes. And when God opens blind eyes, it can happen in a second. And the amazing thing is this. That whereas before you couldn't understand Jewish history, couldn't understand Jewish significance, couldn't understand Jewish suffering, suddenly, in a moment, in a second, you understand it all. Not that you can write an encyclopedia of the whole thing, but the fact is, it makes sense. You may not even be able to explain it in words, but in your heart, you know. all I know is this only the Holy Spirit listen only the Holy Spirit can open blind eyes and the promise is in that day probably at the weakest point in Israel's modern history when she is most alone, forsaken by all, at that moment, the spirit of grace and supplication of inquiry, of appeal, will be poured out upon the house of David and could it include Bibi Nathanyam? Could it include the government? Could it include the chiefs of the army, air force, and navy? Could it be that somehow something would happen so unbelievable that in a moment of time the Spirit of God will open the blind eyes and suddenly the whole of Jewish history will make sense in the light of Jesus the Messiah? Is it any wonder then that, as I have already said, Simeon, when he took up that little child, said, Mine eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel, the hope of Israel. Then suddenly, saved Jews will realize that from every corner of the globe they have people of every tongue, of every color, of every complexion, of every ethnic group, Joined to them. It will be the last chapter in redemption. Dear friends, this is worth praying for. Oh, but you say, well, there's no need to pray for it, is there? It's going to happen. You seem to be pretty certain about it. Ah, you must understand it will certainly happen but God is looking for people who will stand with him. So let me sum it all up if it needs it. What is the hope of Israel? Salvation, fulfilment and glory. Glory. And the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, is the salvation of all of us, Jew or Gentile. And the fulfillment of the purpose of God for us all, Jew or Gentile. And the glory of God in us, Jew or Gentile. I hope you don't feel a second-class citizen, you who are wild olive branch. I'm always saying to people, some more wild than others. (laughs) But if you are a Gentile and saved by the grace of God, you are a partaker of the commonwealth of Israel. That's what the word says. You are no longer far off. You're made nigh
1: by the blood
0: of the Lord Jesus. In him, there is no middle wall of partition. Dear child of God if the hope of Israel is salvation, fulfillment and glory and if the Messiah Jesus is the key to salvation, to fulfillment and to glory then finally will be fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah 2 when the word of the Lord shall go forth from Jerusalem and the law out of Zion and all nations will come and say, come, let us go up to the house of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and learn of his ways. Then something will happen to the natural creation. It will become a paradise again. When I was first saved, I often used to wonder how in the world Noah got all the animals into the ark. I've lived my whole life with animals. Not the human kind. I mean, of course, I've lived with them as well. but the four-footed kind. Or the feathered kind. And I've often wondered, how did Noah get them in? And then one day I found it in the scripture. They apparently understood him. And he understood them. Oh, the fear of man only came after the flood so I suppose he whistled up and in they went (laughs) that's how I see it What an amazing thing it is to understand. I don't know if any of you have ever been moved by watching some of these things with whales and dolphins and so on and the extraordinary relationship between these creatures and human beings. Or you think of of, um, uh, Elsa the Lioness. Do you remember the story? Born free, living free, forever free, you remember? I mean, how amazing it really was that you... But that was what was in this world before the flood Isaiah the prophet says it will all come back and much more than come back The glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And then, then the whole thing will be released. We don't even know what people always ask me, all kinds of questions. Will we eat in heaven? Will we wear clothes in heaven? Will we recognize each other in heaven as if some of us want to recognize each other in heaven? I mean, all kinds of things. They've always asked me these questions. And I always say, isn't it enough for you to be with the Lord? Do you really think the Lord wants you to be miserable for the rest of your life because you can't wear the color you want to wear or, or you, you won't be able to recognize who Abraham is or who Isaac is or who Moses is or who John the Baptist is or who Paul is? Dear child of God, the Lord's going to solve all those things. Those are petty little things. Some people are so interested in eating. Whether well, they are going to eat up there? Well, I don't know whether they're going to eat up there. I have no idea at all. I only know the Lord does wonderful things because he loves his children. And if we don't eat, there'll be something even more wonderful. That's all I can tell you. But this I do know, that the former things will have passed away and the Lord will make all things new. It's almost as if the Lord has said that whole chapter is over and done with and finished now we can get on with the job but we don't really know what the job is what is the Lord going to do in eternity to come what is he going to take us into what is he going to use us for why has he trained us in this amazing way down here why does he go to such lengths to to create spiritual character in us why unless there's some glorious purpose of God in the future this is the hope of Israel This is what Enoch saw. This is what Abraham saw. Isaac saw. Jacob saw. Joseph saw. Joshua understood. Caleb Caleb understood. All of them understood this. Samuel, David, they all saw this. This was the hope of Israel. Within the outer Israel has always been the real Israel. The true Israel. The Israel that saw, the Israel that believed, the Israel that walked with God, and this has always been the hope of Israel. Now when you come to your New Testament, you suddenly find that the Apostle Paul talks about it. He says, I I am in chains for the hope of Israel. They don't understand. They're blind. They accuse me. But it is for this hope of Israel that I stand here and I am accused. We need people who will be able to stand with the Lord for the fulfillment of this purpose. We are in for a rocky, fiery life no doubt about it. Especially for the Middle East. We need people who will pray us through. Pray the government through. Pray the, the, the new Prime Minister through. Pray through the whole purpose of God for this nation. Don't become Israel nutcases. We have enough of them. We need to be delivered from them. Be a functioning member in the fellowship in which you're found. Contribute properly in the fellowship in which you're found. But dear child of God, become an intercessor for Israel. We need you. The Lord could do this without you. Don't ask me why, but he wants you. <laughs> he could do me that without me, but he says, you're a load of trouble, you often don't hear me and you don't do what I want, but I'm not going to do it unless you're with me. Isn't that amazing? Now, of course, the Lord won't wait forever. I mean, if he finds that we're all not hearing and not, he'll find others who, were, who will hear and will stand with him. But the Lord is training us. May God train you. May he call you. May you be enabled by his Holy Spirit to answer the challenge. And may this day, by the Holy Spirit, something be born in your heart that nothing on earth will ever take away. An understanding of the hope of Israel. It is your hope, the hope of glory, Messiah. In you the hope of glory.